Well, as I said, we're going to look at Lord's Day 45, but before we turn there, I'd like to read with you from Psalm 16. Psalm 16 is one of David's psalms. It's a psalm in which he leads his people, leads us in prayer for help. David is facing, we don't know what situation, but we know he's facing enemies, he's facing hardship. He doesn't know what the future holds, but he knows that the Lord holds him. And so he seeks his help. But in the midst of that, he rejoices. Even in the midst of his struggle, even in the midst of his strife, he, he rejoices knowing that God hears, that God has him in his hand, and that God will never let him go. What a beautiful example for our prayer. Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, you are my God. My goodness is nothing apart from you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied, who hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood I will not offer, nor take up their names on my lips. O Lord, You are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because He is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices. My flesh also will rest in hope. For you will not leave my soul in shale, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You will show me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. In the light of that confession, we come to Lord's Day 45. This is the last, the start of the last major, major section in our catechism. You can find that on page 57 if you have a Psalter hymnal at home. And uh, this last major section... Now, we've already gone through the Apostles' Creed, right? Looking at what we confess and why we confess it. We, we have looked at the sacraments of the church and some of those things. We just finished a study on the Ten Commandments and how those show our gratitude. And now we conclude our study of the Catechism by looking at the Lord's Prayer. But we start with this introduction to the Lord's Prayer. Why do Christians need to pray? And the answer is because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And also because God gives His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking Him for them. How does God want us to pray so that He will listen to us? First, we must pray from the heart, to no other than the one true God who has revealed Himself in His Word, asking for everything He has commanded us to ask for. Second, we must acknowledge our need and our misery, hiding nothing, and humble ourselves in His majestic presence. And third, we must rest on this unshakable foundation, that even though we do not deserve it, God will surely listen to our prayer because of Christ our Lord. That is what He promised us in His Word. Finally, what did God command us to pray for? 
everything we need, spiritually and physically, as embraced in the prayer Christ our Lord Himself taught us. And thereafter follows that prayer. What is that prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen indeed. Beloved of God the Father in Christ the Son. I fear that prayer for many of us is an area where our walk does not always match our talk. Ask any one of us, or for that matter, any Christian, period, whether prayer is important. And we all know the answer we're supposed to give. It must be important. Or it wouldn't be part of our worship. It must be important. Or Jesus himself wouldn't have commanded it. That's what we say. But in our hearts, we sometimes doubt. Because how often haven't we prayed and it seemed like nothing really changed? And how many of us have prayed at times of need, but that prayer didn't feel very helpful, didn't feel very powerful? And then, of course, we we turn our eyes on those who never pray, those who never bow before the Lord. And we see their prosperity. And we begin to wrestle with doubt. And when our hearts begin to embrace that kind of doubt, our lives invariably reveal it. For one thing, our prayer life suffers. We, we don't pray as often as we once did. Our prayers become repetitious, covering the same ground, not really engaging our hearts and our minds. But worse than that, we begin focusing on our needs, what we need to provide for ourselves, what resources we need to find to gather together. How am I saving up for this need, for that need? Where am I going to get the help that I'm going to need for that? We begin worrying about the future. Fear begins to grip us. And even though we're still going through the motions of saying prayer at the dinner table, of of bowing our heads in church, our lives reveal that we're trusting in us and we're desperate for help that we don't have. Now don't get me wrong, I'm sure many of you have a good prayer life, but not not all of you. And not always. We go through seasons, I go through seasons, in which prayer is more difficult But brothers and sisters, let me be blunt. Our struggle with prayer, it reveals two things. It reveals our own weakness, our desperate need for what the Lord alone can provide. And our struggle with prayer reveals the spiritual warfare in the midst of which we live. Warfare against the devil and the world and our own fallen flesh. And God is able to give us victory over those enemies. He's able to bring us up from our humble posture. And He uses prayer to do so. Now how essential it is to recall that living as we do at this time. 
We must remember at this time that we are not on our own. Whether the fears that grip you focus on the coronavirus itself or on the cure, which sometimes seems worse than the disease, with the shutdown of our economy and and the stripping away, in many cases, of liberty. It's obvious to us, it must be obvious to us, that we need the help, the comfort, the blessing that God alone can provide. And if we understand that, then we need to be on our knees in prayer. But we can't do that if we don't understand what prayer is and how prayer is to be engaged. And so that's what we're going to consider this morning. But we're going to consider it from the context... First of the gratitude that we've seen in studying the Ten Commandments. If you noted, every time we looked at one of those commandments, we saw this was the grateful response of God's people. And as God's grateful people, we come in prayer, but not just as His people. We come as His children. We come as those whom He has adopted as His children through His only begotten Son. And so we see today that God expectantly awaits the prayers of His grateful children. That's our theme. God expectantly awaits the prayers of His grateful children. But hearing that, the logical heart asks, well, why? Why does God expect us to pray? And why should we? I mean, prayer is not an easy spiritual discipline to embrace It doesn't really seem to come all that natural. And we have such busy lives in such a busy, normally busy world that oftentimes it feels like we don't have time to pray. We don't have time to really devote ourselves. We get up and we make our to-do list for the day and we dash into our clothes and we dash out the door and we go do all our chores and we come back and we sit down for a hurried meal before we go off for our evening events or to finish up the, the chores that we couldn't do because of all the other evening events we've had. And then we fall into bed exhausted and when do we have the time to sit down and pray? It's got to be pretty important if we're going to carve that time out of our day. So why is it so important? Well, our catechism shows us and Scripture reveals to us that it's important, first of all, because it is to be the grateful response of our hearts. It is to be the grateful response of our hearts. That's our first point. Our catechism says, and, and I've got to admit, I remember the first time I read Lord's Day 45. I was probably about 19 years old in college. And I read, why do Christians need to pray? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness God requires of us. And I thought, that's not true. Surely there are other things God requires of us as our grateful response that are more important than prayer. Is it really more important than obedience? More important than worship? More important than the songs we sing or the feelings that we feel? Well, the answer is yes. We see that in the fact that God gave us an entire book of prayers. That's what the Psalms are. That's why we're commanded to to read them and pray them and sing them. The Psalms were given to teach God's people to pray. 150 distinct prayers that we're to pray and sing and 
fill our hearts with. The Psalms were given to enable the the church of the Old Testament to sing about Christ who is to come. And the church of the New Testament to celebrate Christ who has come. The Psalms were given to enable us to thank God in the midst of our prosperity and to seek His help in the midst of adversity and to show us how we can be grateful always. He gave them to teach us how to pray. We saw that in Psalm 16, didn't we? Here's David asking God for safety, for refuge. We don't know what the situation is, what time of his life this was, but we know that he was in danger. He felt that his life was truly at risk. Perhaps he's preparing for battle. Perhaps Saul is closing in. Perhaps he's living in the midst of the Philistines, in the midst of his enemies. Whatever the situation, he prays for help, for deliverance, for the the rescue that God alone can provide. But he does so with gratitude. Listen to verses 5 through 7. O Lord, you are the portion of my inheritance and my cup. You maintain my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. I have a good inheritance. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My heart also instructs me in the night seasons. Even in the midst of his troubles and trials, God's servant thanks the Lord for the situation in which he finds himself, for the provision he has received, even for the wisdom that God has imparted to him. And our catechism says that's the kind of response God desires of us. It's not an option. It's not just for those who are creative in their expression. It's not just for those times when we feel like praying. It's not an option in any sense. God requires our prayer. Why do you think that is? Kids, have you ever wondered why God wants us to pray? It's not because God doesn't know what we need. Jesus said in Matthew 6, just before he taught us the Lord's Prayer... He says, your father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. He already knows what we need. He doesn't need us to express exhaustively every detail of that which we need. But yet he still wants us to pray. First of all, because he wants us to be thankful for his gracious love. I mean, God saved us from our sin. He rescued us. By paying the price through Jesus that our sins had earned. We can't even fathom the price that He paid when He hung on the cross and God cast darkness over the land for three hours, demonstrating physically that He was rejecting His Son, that He was turning away from Him, forsaking Him because He bore our sin. He endured all of that. And indeed, an entire lifetime of being rejected, an entire lifetime of being humbled for our sake. And He did it even when we hated Him. Romans 5 says, God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then verse 10 says, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son. That kind of grace, that kind of love is unimaginable. How can we not show God our thanks in whatever way He commands it 
when He has given us such love. And beyond that, He's not only forgiven our sins, but He's become our Father. What father is there who doesn't desire an active relationship with his children? All fathers, if they're any kind of father at all, desire a relationship with their kids. And God is the essence of the perfect, loving Father. What's more, remember, He chose us to be His children. We didn't choose Him. The relationship didn't just happen. Even though He knew our sins, our faults, our failures, God chose us to love as His sons and daughters. And as our Father, He wants to talk with us. He wants us to talk with Him. Not because He doesn't know our needs, not because He's lonely or incomplete, but simply because He desires a relationship in which we, we open ourselves to Him. We hold nothing back. What father here among us doesn't desire exactly that from His children? And what child among us doesn't understand that if you love your father, you will talk to Him, you will share with Him, you will communicate with Him from your heart? In fact, God so desires that relationship with us that if we won't, He will withhold His blessing. Do you hear that in the Catechism? God gives His grace and Holy Spirit only to those who pray continually and groan inwardly, asking God for these gifts and thanking Him for them. Now understand what that's not saying. It's not saying that our prayer somehow merits God's answer. It's impossible that man could earn anything from God. Everything we have is from Him. So we can't earn anything in His sight. All that God gives us is a gift. Nor is our catechism saying that God needs us to tell Him what we need. God is omniscient. He knows everything better than we do. But God commands our prayer and withholds good from us if we don't pray for our good. We need to see our own weakness, our own insufficiency, lest we begin to trust ourselves. We need to know our absolute dependence on God, or we won't rest in Him, and we won't have the comfort that we need. Remember what we heard in our assurance of pardon. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. And then he says, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. So until we do humble ourselves in the sight of the Lord, showing by our prayer that we're trusting not in us, but in Him, He's going to convince us of our need. He's going to humble us by not giving us precisely what we long for, what we crave. Imagine that you had a rebellious child. Try as you might, He would not accept your teaching, your urging to do what is right. In that situation, wouldn't a wise and loving father allow that rebellious child to experience the painful consequences of his rebellion? If your young child refuses to leave the mousetrap alone, it might be wise to let it snap on his fingers so he understands that dad was telling him that for his own good. If the rebellious teenager won't do his homework, maybe you need to let him fail so that he'll understand the cost of his rejection of your authority. If the the rebellious older child won't work, well, maybe he needs to be hungry for a while. Maybe he needs to go without a car and all of the amenities 
until he understands that he's called to use his gifts productively. A wise and loving father will teach his child and try to urge him to accept the lessons that will prevent him from suffering. But if he won't learn, if he won't obey, he'll allow him to suffer the consequences. And that's what God does for us. Might that not be what God is doing for us today in America? I mean, understand this this pandemic and all that goes with it, that's not outside of God's control. Nothing happens apart from His leading. And for far too long in this land, we have relied upon us, our wisdom, our plans, our determination and hard work. But we're weak. And now He has shown us that in a multitude of ways. He has brought our nation in an astoundingly quick fashion to our knees. Revealing our need to turn back to Him. And until we do turn back to Him in humble, grateful prayer, He withholds the good that we desire. In fact, from start to end, God's expectation of prayer is evidence of our love for us. He wants us to be grateful for the salvation we've received. He wants us to to long for a relationship with our Father. And He wants us to see that we are weak. We are insufficient. We rely for everything we need, desire, want on Him alone. Our Father longs for us to confess as David confessed in Psalm 16, You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from You. That being the case, then it it behooves us to ask how. How do we pray in a way that's pleasing to God? Now, I know we, we only have ten minutes left to our normal sermon time, and we have two points, but I want to emphasize this second point. The third point is really just a a preview of what is to come in the next weeks as we look at the Lord's Prayer. But we need to know how God wants us to pray. And as we see that in the Catechism, we see that He wants our prayer to be an honest expression of our faith. And that's our second and perhaps most important point today. Our prayer is to be an honest expression of our faith. When when the Catechism answers that question, how does God want us to pray... It gives us three things that should characterize our prayers. And if we take those three things together, they really comprise faith. But faith is a kind of a tricky word. Because you ask people in our, in our culture today, do you have faith? They'll say, absolutely, of course, yes. I am a person of faith. Probably 85, 90% of our culture will say that. But they mean a whole laundry list of different things by that. Many of them mean, well, I just... I believe that good things will happen and, and therefore they happen, right? It's the power of positive thinking or, or they're trusting in a false deity or in a deity that they don't really know. They believe there's some greater good out there who hears our prayers and so sometimes I pray to him or it, but I really don't know that deity. That's not faith. That's not the faith by which our prayers must be characterized. Echoing Scripture, our catechism shows us that the faith that fills our prayers must be, first of all, sincere. It says, we must pray from the heart. In other words, our prayers can't be merely academic. Saying all the right words, making a a perfectly appropriate prayer that includes all of the right things and avoids all of the wrong. 
It's not enough to say the right words without truly believing, without truly feeling, without truly pouring ourselves into it. Psalm 145 says to us, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. He will hear their cry and save them. It doesn't say to all who formulate a prayer that ticks off all the boxes and fills out all the checklists. It doesn't say that. To all those who are skilled at writing appropriate exhortation. No, it doesn't say that either. It says to those who call upon Him. We pray confessing the true God. Many are they who pray aimlessly to whatever deity there may be. But that's like asking for help by writing your plea on a a piece of paper, folding it up, sticking it in an envelope, and mailing it without an address on it. That letter will accomplish nothing because it has no address. Right? Our prayer, if it is to be accepted, it must be addressed to the one true God, the triune God of Scripture, who is our Father and Creator, the, the Son, our Savior, and the Holy Spirit who dwells with us. He alone is the true God, and we must address our prayer to Him, calling out on Him from the heart. The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who fear Him. You see the heart aspect of that. We're calling out to the true God, knowing that as Psalm 16 says, their sorrows shall be multiplied who hasten after another God. But recognizing too that the true God longs to hear from us. As we do so, as we call out sincerely upon the one true God, we need to do so obediently. That means we don't ask God for that which He forbids. Nor should we focus our desire on our desires rather than His. Our prayers should express the obedience of a loving child. Think of Jesus in the garden, asking, pouring out His heart, asking for what He desired, but then saying, but not my will, but yours be done, Lord. He sought not what would satisfy His flesh at that moment, but what would satisfy God for all eternity. That's what we must seek. That's what we must long for. Always our prayer must be couched, but Your will must be done, Lord. And for that I long. Psalm 37 shows us this proper, obedient emphasis in prayer. When it says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Notice that. It doesn't just say, He will give you the desires of your heart, period, and a sentence full stop. That's what we hear from some of the TV preachers, isn't it? If you want a Cadillac, you want a new job, you want a new house, just pray to the Lord, name it, and claim it. No, no, no. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Because as you delight yourself in the Lord, you will begin to delight in the things that delight Him. As you delight yourself in the Lord, your desires will begin to reflect His. And then He will give you the desire of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him. 
and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. We must trust him. We must believe that he will give us. And he doesn't always give us what we ask for, does he? He doesn't always give us the thing for which we pray, but he gives us the thing that's better, the thing that we truly need, the thing that he has ordained for us. So we must pray, first of all, with a sincere heart, confessing the one true God, seeking to be obedient. That, that first of all. But that prayer, that sincere prayer, must also be humble. Our catechism urges us to acknowledge our need and misery, hiding nothing, and humble ourselves in His majestic presence. You see, that, that humbling is part and parcel of true prayer. Our Heavenly Father wants us to confess with Psalm 91, our need for Him, our trust in His provision. Psalm 91 says, Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. You hear the condition in that promise. He's going to protect them from the enemy, from the plague, from the thing that is afflicting. Why? Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. The one who is our refuge is the one in whose shelter you find help. A little further on, he says, this is God speaking, because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. God promises rescue, help, hope, deliverance for those who trust in Him and in Him alone. For those who, who fall before Him and acknowledge, I am weak, but you are strong. I am powerless, but you have all the power needful. That's not easy for us. Our temptation is to admit that we need not deliverance, but assistance. We want a loan from God, not a gift. We want to bargain with God, promising, I'll do X and Y, I just need you to do Z. But that doesn't work for God. He says, no, you humble yourself, confess your absolute inability, and then I will empower you, I will help you, I will bless you. But you need to recognize that none of it is you. Again, we see the example of Psalm 16. David cries out without any reservation, Preserve me, O God, for in you I put my trust. O my soul, you have said to the Lord, You are my Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. There's no hint there that the one praying thinks he's mostly okay. Quite the contrary. He sees everything that he needs from the Lord. My goodness is nothing apart from you. And alongside of that, he's quick to confess God's greatness. Verse 8, I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be moved. Our God is perfect in power, in wisdom, in strength. He's entirely sufficient to meet our every single need. And we need to confess that. We need to confess that there is no one else who can even begin. We've seen that lately in a few of our leaders acknowledging their reliance and our need to be reliant upon God. We should be praying for more leaders like that in our nation, but 
But brothers and sisters, we as the church need to set that example. We need to to be praying openly. We need to be confessing boldly that our hope comes not from government, not from ourselves, not from our American independence, but from the Lord. He's the one who has given every single gift and He's the only one who can give the gifts that we need. And that leads us to our final aspect of the faith by which we must pray and that's confidence. We must not doubt that God hears us when we pray to Him. Psalm 139 famously confesses, There is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, You know it altogether. You have hedged me behind and before. Where can I go from Your Spirit? Or where can I flee from Your presence? Surely such a God in His omniscience, knows our every need. No prayer of His children falls on deaf ears. We can be confident that He hears every word of every prayer, whether spoken aloud or spoken only in the silent depths of our hearts. We can be confident He hears us and also that He loves us. Has He not blessed us even as He blessed David? Has He not assigned our portion and our cup, meeting our needs generously? Has He not given us an inheritance that is delightful? both physically and even more so spiritually and eternally? Has He not bestowed upon us the excellent blessing of knowing Him and knowing His glorious ways? After all, God loved us so much that He sent His Son to suffer and die that we might be restored to Him. There is nothing that we need that He is not able and willing to give to us. So don't doubt His intention to do good for us. He promised. We know the promise. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Knowing that, we can express the very same confidence that David expressed in Psalm 16, professing that God will not abandon us to the grave, but instead in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures evermore. We can be confident that God will do what is precisely good and right for us, both in this life and in the life to come, both here and now and unto all eternity. And we must express that confidence. We must testify today. This pandemic is for our good. These struggles we're having, they're to bless us. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's frustrating. Yes, it's, it's hurt us. But if it has brought us to our knees before God, if it has taught us to pray with a faith that is sincere, confessing the one true God and our hope in Him, if it has taught us to pray with a humility that recognizes our absolute inability, if it has taught us to pray with a faith that is confident that our God hears us and loves us and will do good for us, then God will have accomplished an amazing and necessary work through this pandemic and all that goes with it. But one question remains, and that is, for what shall we pray? And as I said, the answer to that is something we're going to consider as we go through Lord's Days 46 and following. As we consider the Lord's Prayer that Jesus taught us to pray in each of its aspects. And what we're going to see there 
brothers and sisters, is a humble confession of our need that encompasses everything we need spiritually and physically, both now and unto eternity. It's a comprehensive list. Kids, I want you to remember this. There is nothing, there is no part of your life that God wants you to exempt from your prayers. You think, well, of course, but but now think of that in more concrete terms. He doesn't want you to exempt any of your hobbies. He doesn't want you to exempt any of your thought life. He doesn't want you to exempt any of your friendships or the things you do with your friends. And maybe some of you teenagers are thinking, well, I don't want to pray about that thing, or I'm not sure if I can talk to God about that other. But that's why He wants us to include everything spiritually and physically in our lives, in our prayers. Because if there's something about which you feel, I can't talk to God about that, then maybe maybe that's an indication you need to talk to God about that. Asking Him to remove it from your life. Asking you Him to strengthen you in your commitment. But at the end of the day, there is no need unworthy of prayer. No need too trivial or small. No need too magnificent to bring to your Father. That's what He wants. That's what every father truly wants. For their children to come and confess, I need you. I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need you. And that's what God desires of our children in all our work, in all our family, in all of our struggles, and also our triumphs. He wants us to come humbly confessing our need for our reliance upon Him. This God, our Father, expectantly awaits the prayers of His beloved children. And it is essential for our standing as His children. So this week, let us, let us honestly evaluate. How fervently, how faithfully, how frequently am I praying? And then let us begin to pray for our prayers. Asking God to fill us with a faith and with a love for Him that will make it impossible to conceive of not filling our days with communication to our Heavenly Father. To Him be all the glory. Amen. O Lord, our God, we praise You that You have not only saved us and not only provided for us, but have expressed the desire to have a relationship with us, a living relationship. And I pray, Father, that You would make that to be our delight. That more and more, day by day, we might pour out the desires of our heart. We might share the, the deepest thoughts of our hearts. And we might grow in our relationship with You. Father, we ask this in Jesus' name.